Hi, my name is Phil Metzger, and in 1992 I moved to Moscow, Russia. From there I lived in the beautiful Central European country of Hungary, where my family and I spent the next 20 years living, learning, and sharing about Jesus. Different foods, culture, and language, but underneath it all, we discovered the most amazing people. We learned that to share the gospel effectively, we had to adjust. We had to cross cultures. Now we're back in the U.S., and we're discovering that this country is a melting pot of culture. This show is committed to helping Christians connect to those who think, believe, and live differently than them. This is Crossing Cultures. Welcome to Crossing Cultures. In this episode, we are going to either listen or watch a teaching that I did at our church here at Calvary San Diego in a series called Unanswered Questions. The topic is LGBTQ. I know you're going to enjoy this, and it's going to really help frame the coming episodes. We have been talking these last several weeks on the subject of unanswered questions, and man, we're getting, we've gotten just so many great and amazing questions. And this week, the question, and I put, I put, we've put it out there, we had, we had about 15 people ask the same question in 15 different ways. I'm not going to mention them all, but I'm going to give you just a couple. Number one, how do I as a Christian relate to the LGBTQ community? We'll talk about that, the homosexual community, the gay community. The next question that was asked, I know someone who is transgender. They want me to refer to them by a different name. Is this Okay. We had, um, I mean, boy, I just had so many questions, and they keep coming now. We had so many questions relating to this. What does it, can you be, can you struggle with same-sex attraction and be a Christian? What does it look like? How does it work? We're all asking these same questions, and if we're not, we're forgetting what world we're living in right now. These are incredible questions. I'm so thankful to get the opportunity to talk about it. And I want to talk about it from a very specific, a very clear angle. You see, when you talk about a subject that is broad, you can't do it in 35 minutes, just to be clear. You can't solve all the problems of the world in 35 minutes. They've been trying to do this for 2,000 years, and we've not succeeded. So we're going to be focusing on a very specific area, and let me tell you where that's going to be. We're going to be focusing on how can we, because I believe here most of us are Christians. If you're not, no problem that you're here. We want you to be saved. We want you to know Jesus, but we're glad you're at church. But listen, I think most of us are probably already saved. We already know the Lord. And so we're wanting to learn, how do I today, how do I today help someone who's wrestling maybe with same-sex attraction? How do I help them to know Jesus? How can I help? Because whether we like this or not, and I hope, it's, I hope we can accept this, it may not be in your life, it might not be at your immediate, but, but guaranteed somebody in your life is wrestling with these questions. And for too long, we've just pushed it off and just said, well, that's them. And then there's us. But there is no us in them. The Bible declares all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all dealing with stuff. So how do we help a community, a group of people in the world we live in, not them far away, but them near us, a part of our lives, people we love, Cousins, nieces, nephews, children, co-workers, family, friends, people we love who are wrestling with these issues, trying to figure it out. And we're going to focus our attention primarily in that area. But we want to do three things then. We're going to define what, these, what, what the issue is. Number two, we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say? And number three, we want to get a sense of how can we do better to reach people. How can we do better to reach people? Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, verse 14. We're going to be all over the scriptures, but I want to start here. 
John 1 verse 14 says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this verse is speaking about Jesus. That Jesus became one of us and he was full of grace and truth. You know what's interesting and um, you know, uh, as many of you know, Joey and I and our family, we've lived the last uh, many, many years in the inner city of Budapest, Hungary. It's like a big city, and, and it, there, there didn't a week go by that I wasn't talking with someone who was wrestling with the same-sex attraction and, and just and dying inside of, like, what does this look like? How does this work? What, how do, and, and, and so we had to learn, and I'm in the process of wanting to learn, what's the best way to communicate and to love and to help? And what I found is anytime, you know, and I put out a thing saying we're going to be talking about this. I, we put this out on social media. And it's almost immediate. Listen to this. It's almost immediate that someone will say, you know, we just put up a thing saying we're going to talk about same-sex attraction and Christianity. Imme within, within 24 hours, the first issue is this. Well, you can't, um, you know, if you're going to show too much love, then you're going to be compromising the truth. Within 24 hours, that was told to me several times. And I thought about that, and I thought about this verse, John 1.14, and I thought, if there's ever someone who not only knows the truth, but who is the truth, and I'm talking about Jesus, and he never compromised truth, not one bit, but he was full of grace. And here's the challenge for you and me, and this is what I'm going to be challenging us in today, is this, can I be both full of grace and truth like Jesus? Can I let God do a work in me where I become more full of grace and truth? Some of you in here might say, oh man, I got the grace thing. Peace, kumbaya, love, I got it, yeah. And others might say, oh, that, then you're weak on truth. You're not holding to the truth. Other people are saying, I got the truth. This is wrong. This is what the Bible says, but you have no grace. The Bible tells us that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Can we be both is the question that we want to look at today. And the answer is, starting with Jesus is yes. So when we say, let's, let's do some definitions. When I say LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then the, the, the last one is the word questioning. It's a broad term. And I want to take some time to look at the scriptures that talk about homosexuality, and then we're going to get a broader perspective as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Romans 1, 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And say, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed with which I have been entrusted. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both have committed an abomination. 
They shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Those are the verses that the Bible talks about homosexuality in. There's another verse I want to read because it kind of covers everything. Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, I just focused on the verses that talk about where homosexuality is wrong. I didn't talk about where heterosexual sin outside of marriage is wrong or gossip or backbiting or there's a whole bunch. If you want to pick a subject that's wrong and ask me, I could give you verses on where the Bible says it's wrong. But I want it to be very clear so that as to make no, nobody in this room or those that will watch online will wonder, well, what does he really think? Is, 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 it, is homosexuality wrong? Anything that goes against God's plan for our lives is wrong. I'm as guilty as anyone else, and so are you. We're not here because we're the good guys. We're here because we're the bad guys who need Jesus. So as we talk about this, and I realize as a church, we're aware of what the Bible says and we agree, but I don't want anybody to mistake when I say I want to learn to communicate the gospel to people in our world that are hurting, that are disenfranchised, that feel that the church is against them. I want to reach those people. I'm not going to compromise truth, but I want to reach those people. You know, I, I want to I, I explain what it means to be a missionary for a minute. I feel comfortable to talk about that subject. And, and a mission trip. And at the end of our message, I'm going to invite you to go on a mission trip. I'll, I'll explain what I mean in just a second here. Going on a mission trip. Who's been on a mission trip before? You've been out of your country to, to do something? For, okay, so some of us. More of you are going on one, though. Okay? And it'll be free, too, by the way. That's awesome. Now I got your attention. A free mission trip. Okay? When you go on a missions trip, most of the places that you'll go to are either going to be extremely hot or extremely cold, and by that I mean you'll be extremely uncomfortable, okay? They have bugs that are the size of your three-year-old child, okay? Um, you know, you will be tired the entire time that you're there because every part of your body is being assaulted, the foods that you eat. You know, in America, people pray for their food, like, Lord bless the food, whatever, it's good, it's Chick-fil-A, it's fine, you know, whatever. But in, in, you go to other parts of the world, and you're looking at that, and you're like, dear God, please bless this food. <laughs> Jesus, I need you. <laughs> okay? You pray for your food. You, I mean, you fast sometimes just to, you know, really cover it. But you don't, you know, and, and, and then when you go there and they're speaking a language you don't understand and it's so frustrating because you already speak a few languages, at least two, many of you, and you're there and you're like, I can't understand. And then they put the worship songs up there and you can't even read a word. And it's hard because not only is your body being assaulted with heat or, or cold or giant bugs or food you don't like or don't know what it is, but your emotions and your spirit is being assaulted at the same time. I want to talk to someone and I can't. I want to connect to somebody and I can't. It's so hard. It's so frustrating. If you want to be humbled, and, you, and some of you are like, dude, you are doing a terrible job of selling a missions trip right now. I'm never going on a missions trip with you, okay? And you know, Who would ever want to do that? Who would ever want to? You want to experience the assault of, of, of your own flesh? Go on a missions trip. You want to also experience the greatest highs of seeing God do something in your life? Go on a missions trip. You want to see God change someone's life that you just met and you watch the progress happen in a one-week time period. You will be changed. For, but when you go on a missions trip, you know that you're going somewhere that is going to be different from where you are. You expect it and you accept it. It's going to be different. 
They're going to be different than I am. They're going to think different than I do. In parts of Africa where I go, you know, I go, will go to these, these, these villages where they've got their false gods right there in the very front. Before you can get into the hut, you've got to walk past all the, the idols. But, I, but I'm, a, I'm a missionary. It's okay. I get it. I'm here to combat the enemy, who, the devil who wants to ruin people's lives. And that's why we do it. That's why we go there. We go there because we're saying no to the devil. He doesn't get to win over people's hearts. We want to win them back to Jesus. Amen? That's why we do missions. It's because Jesus said, go to the whole world and make disciples in my name. I'm going to invite you on a missions trip at the end of our message. First thing I want you to consider, first thing I want you to consider when we're talking about how are we going to connect to a community of people that might think and act and live and be different than we are. Maybe you're going to figure out what missions trip I want you to go on now. Here's the first thing I want you to consider. When we talk about LGBTQ and Christianity, it's this. This is not an issue. These are people. This is not an issue, the gay issue. No. These are people. When you make something an issue, it is, and trust me, I know because I'm just like you. When I make something an issue, it's easy for me to be judgmental. It's easy for me to pull myself away from the actual people and just make very harsh comments. This is this way. This is that way. But now, when I sit down with a young man who's coming into my church and who's crying and he's saying, I'm wrestling with this. Can we please talk? It's not an issue anymore. It's a person. And if you don't have people in your life that are wrestling it, the people in your life have people that are wrestling with it. I promise you. You want to engage in the world we live in? You want to be a missionary, which I believe God wants us to be? I think God's calling Calvary San Diego to be a missionary to San Diego. Then you have to start by recognizing it's not an issue. These are people. When we lived in Hungary the last three years, we were a part of what was later to be called the largest mass migration of humans in the last, I mean, they said over 100 years. People from Syria and Afghanistan were marching all the way up through Turkey, through parts of Jordan, and crossing Greece and coming right through Hungary on their way to Germany. It was a huge issue. Maybe some of you heard about it. I think everybody did. And five minutes from our church building were 10,000 Syrians stuck waiting for a train to come to take them to Germany. There were, they were stuck there for a week. There was 10 porta-potties. They weren't allowed to leave the train station. And so it was an issue, and we thought we should go to the train station and just see what's going on. We got there within the first or second day. And all of a sudden, an issue I saw on the news disappeared, and people came into focus. When we would sit down on their rugs because they wanted to keep the place as clean as possible, and they'd go get us a coffee at McDonald's, and we'd sit there, they would buy the coffee, and we'd sit there and we'd have conversation, human beings talking to human beings. It was no longer an issue. It was people. I'm as guilty as anyone of letting issues take over what should have been a people thing. You want to reach people? Then see them as people, not as an issue. Nobody is defined by one part of their lives. Let me ask you, would you want to be defined by the one thing you wouldn't want anybody else to know? No. Why do we do that to other people? I discovered sitting with people, talking with moms and dads and young men and young women, I discovered they were college kids. They were people running businesses. That One of the guys that we became so close to, he was a cameraman for NBC. 
His, he brought his dad along who was 80 years old and they'd marched for six weeks across the desert to get to Hungary. And they got there and we said, would you like to come over to our church and get to take a shower? And the dad just started, the grandpa was just crying. He hadn't gotten to take a shower. Nobody treated him with any dignity because people saw an issue. Jesus didn't see issues, he saw people. And we want to be like him. We need to see people not just issues. We need to ask ourselves, if God is not changing and everything else around us is, how can I love people today? How can I love people today? We need to realize we're not talking issue, we're talking people. Um, I was watching an, uh, um, what's the phrase here I'm looking for? I was watching a conversation that happened between some Bible scholars and apologetics majors. Apologetics is when you are you're defending the faith of Christianity. So it's all these doctors and PhDs, all these really smart guys, uh, guys and gals, and they're talking about the homosexual community and, and they're giving biblical answers to, to these questions that we're talking about today. And I was so surprised when one of the main apologetics, apologetics men said this. He said, on the subject of homosexuality, we need less apologetics and more apologies. And it struck me. And, and so somebody said, can you follow up with explaining what you just said? And he said, yeah, the Bible is not ambiguous on the subject. It's not like we can all be wondering, wait, what does the Bible really say about this? The Bible is extremely clear. Make no mistake about that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, period. There is no ambiguity in that. There's not one person who is born today, who's alive today, heterosexual, homosexual, or whatever, who has not sinned before God. Everyone has. And he said, but we don't need to just be focusing on one element. We need to be focusing on the bigger picture. And they asked him, what do you see is the bigger picture? And he said this, we've taken six verses in the Bible and we have judged an entire group of people, and we've failed to take the bigger picture of the Bible that says that God wants to forgive, God wants to love, God wants to cleanse. And he's right. He said this. Let me, let me finish reading what he wrote here. He said, we need to listen to God's word, but we should also take some time to listen to people. You want to hear an amazing statistic? Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen. 80% of the gay community says they grew up in church. of the gay community today says, I grew up in church. What does that mean for you and me then? It means a whole bunch of things, but here's a couple of them. It means it's no longer funny when from the pulpit somebody says things like, oh, but by the grace of God, I could commit any sin except that one. It's not funny. It's not funny because there's people, 80% of the gay community grew up in a church. And immediately they're meant to feel like what they are wrestling with is worse than what anybody else is wrestling with. And it's funny because Romans 1 is an interesting passage. Romans 1, and I've studied it a lot. Romans 1, most, of, most pastors will tell you, follows a pattern, kind of a, a it goes downward from, from lesser sins to worse sins. And I have heard that forever and forever and forever. That, and it ends, Romans 1, guess where it ends? It ends talking about homosexuality. Here's the problem with that idea. Did you know when they wrote the Bible, there was no chapters? You knew that, right? Paul didn't write chapter 1, chapter 2. So he just kept writing. Guess what Paul talked about in chapter 2? He says, and those of you who judge others are also guilty. Now think about that. If this was just one continuous long thought, those who judge others are worse than those who are wrestling with homosexuality point I'm trying to make is this, is that for way too long, the church has stood on a side of saying, 
I could never deal with that. When the reality is, is that 80% of the gay community says, I was in that church. I was there and I was pushed out. I was no longer made to feel like if nobody else is wrestling with what I'm wrestling with, I need to find somewhere where someone can understand what I'm dealing with. And what I'm saying is I want to be, and I hope you would want to be, the kind of person that people who are wrestling with issues, they can talk to us. That we give enough space in our lives where people who deal with issues that are difficult can feel like they can come and they can have a conversation with us. Oh, but if I don't, if I'm not careful, it'll look like I'm compromising my Christianity. Look like that to whom? Who are you trying to impress? Because Jesus came here, he left heaven, he became one of us. The Pharisees tried to point out to him how wrong he was and he rejected it every single time because he came here to reach people. If you think that it would be hard for you to talk to somebody who's in a, in a lifestyle of sin that you don't agree with, if that's hard for you, I want you to remember something, and I have to do this almost every day. I have to remember something. How hard was it for Jesus to talk to me? Because I'm, I'm pretty bad. How hard is it for Jesus to be my friend? And doesn't it make him look kind of bad? You know, I wonder if the angels are like, wow, Jesus, you're hanging out with Phil again. Ugh. Don't you know what that guy's like? And yet not one of you have ever thought that, neither have I, until I started thinking about this message. And I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus hangs out with me, he looks better. He looks better. He's willing to love somebody who's so unlovable like me. It makes him look better. It makes him look bigger. It makes him look greater. It makes his grace look stronger. It makes the truth of the gospel look that much more appealing. Because all have sinned and Jesus is willing to step down and talk to sinners like you and me. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. I want you to consider this, and I'll put this up on the screen as a, just so that so you can write it down if it's something you need to remember. You cannot evangelize those you antagonize. And this was spoken by a mom on a, it was on a reality show where her son came out as gay. She's a Christian. And she kicked him out of the house. She ostracized him. She didn't know what else to do. She responded in fear. That story's been told a million times. She didn't know what she was supposed to do. And so she thought she needed to get him out. And so she did. And he was embraced by the homosexual community. And time went on and time went on. And she's like, I've lost a relationship with my son. And I love my son. And the conflict of, I love my son, but I know what's true, smacked her in the face and she didn't know what to do with it. She had to go back to John 1.14 that Jesus is full of grace and truth. You can hold to the truth but still be a gracious human being. She invited her son back over, started meeting his friends. She began to love her son again. And she was the one after years of dealing with this who said those words that I put on the screen for you. If you're watching online, here it is. You cannot evangelize those you antagonize. You and I cannot stand on one side. It's an issue. We need to stand firm on it. If you antagonize people, you will have no door to reach them. And I don't care what the issue is. That's true of every issue. It's true of every person. And I don't want to stand on one side that I know Jesus isn't standing on. That's the issue for me. I don't want to stand on the other side of people that Jesus is standing on their side. Because Jesus is committed to reaching people like you and me. 
Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is an amazing chapter. uh, It's a lot of verses and, well, we're going to look at as much of it as we can. John chapter 4 for me gives us a great opportunity to see Jesus in action, loving people, but also holding to truth. Right? Because that's always the fear. If I'm just loving, where's the truth? Or maybe I'm too hard on the truth and where's the love? Can I be both? Can I be both? Verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and he departed to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you've got nothing to draw from, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And Jesus answered, verse 13, and he said, Whoever drinks of this water, the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I give will become in him a fountain of water springing up everlasting life. The woman said, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst or have to come here and draw water anymore. Jesus said, go call your husband. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. It is true what you said. And the woman said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And then in parentheses, I'm out of here. No, no, she didn't say that. Our fathers worshipped on this. Now she got all spiritual. Our fathers worshipped on this, but you Jews say we worship in Jerusalem. Verse 21, Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Those who worship the Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and it is now. The true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, the one who is speaking to you right now, I am he. At this point, the disciples came back. They were amazed. He was talking to a woman. That's for a different story. Yet no one said, what are you seeking? Why are you talking with her? They, They saw an issue. Nobody saw a person. They saw an issue. Nobody saw a person. That's why nobody asked any questions. Nobody said anything because they said you, not a person. Verse 28, the woman left. She went her way. She went to the city. She went to the men. And she said, verse 21, come, uh, verse 29, come see a man who told me all things that I have ever done. Could this be the Christ? This is one of the most powerful uh, conversations that happens in the New Testament between Jesus and another person on so many levels. Number one, she was a woman, different subject. Number two, she was a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But more than that, the story comes out really clear. She's a woman who had multiple partners. She was getting water at a time of the day when nobody else got water. And you know why? Because she didn't want to be around the other ladies because the other ladies didn't want to be around her. She, I mean, because she might have been with some of their husbands. 
Nobody wanted to be around her. Jesus, he said he needed to go to Samaria, and he strikes up a conversation with her. A Jewish man strikes up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. That's already pretty scandalous. But what I want you to see in that conversation is several things. Number one, he treated her with absolute respect and dignity. He had no problem pointing out what is true. No issues with speaking the truth. He did not hide one thing, but yet he showed great respect and dignity. Why? Listen, and this is so important. Why does Jesus show dignity and respect to a woman who is clearly guilty? Why? Because he is good. And the Bible says God is love. God shows love because of who he is, not because we deserve it. Jesus is not here in this room because we're the good people. Jesus is here in this room because he is love. And Jesus goes after the sinner not because he knows they're going to be a good guy really soon. He goes after the sinner because of who he is, not because of who they are. God is love. He is kind. He is gracious. He is merciful. He goes after you and he goes after me because of who he is. It's not because of you. It's because of him. And when you and I can remember that, God goes after people because of who he is. It frees us. God looks at a world that was made in his image, people made after his image, and he always shows them dignity and kindness and respect. He never had a problem calling sin, sin, but he also never had a problem talking with dignity and respect to people. And I would say that if there's anything I want to learn in 2018 is I want to learn to show dignity and respect to all people whether I agree with them or not. Because guess what? While we were enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for you because you were kind of a good guy. Jesus died while we hated him. I never hated God. Yes, you did. If you lived in sin like we all did, we were against God. That's the good news. That's not the bad news. The good news is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because Jesus came and died for sinners like you and me. Friends, stop feeling like you have to compromise either love or truth. Jesus shows us both are available and both can exist. I've heard, um, I've heard in the same conversation that I was listening to uh, these apologetics uh, folks and pastors and Bible scholars one of the pastors made this statement, and I, I disagree with it, and I want to explain why. I think it's important for our, our, our message today. He said this. He says, you know, homosexuality didn't used to be on the radar like, it, radar like it is today. And that's why we weren't talking about it in the same way that we are now. Now, I disagree with that statement, but I, I, I do partly agree. What we're talking about today, 25 years ago, was a very different conversation. What it is today is a very different thing. But I also disagree with the statement. Well, we weren't dealing with it 25 years ago. Yes, we were. We've all, listen, when you go after issues, you'll miss the bigger picture. God has always been loving and kind and wanting to reach people. Always. It's never changed. In fact, it's interesting to me because as a church, we say we don't want to just be racing after where culture's at. You know, we, we have an eternal message the gospel. We don't want to just race culture, you know, what's now fat, popular, what's a fad, what's this. We don't, we don't want to do that. But let me tell you, 
What's always been in fad is God's forgiveness. What's always been in season is the gospel, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but can be saved. That's always been when I'm talking to a young man, when I was talking to a young man in Budapest who says to me, I think I'm, I'm gay, but can I come to your church? I said, of course you can come to our church. Church is for sinners. We're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. Oh, and some are going to say, oh my gosh, but what does that look like? And what if, how does that all work out? Here's the beauty. I don't have to be the one to figure out all that stuff. I have to be the one that's willing to speak truth and be gracious Here's where I disagree with this idea that it didn't used to be on the radar, but now it is. It's because I believe that had we as the church, and I'm not condemning any of us, but I'm making a point. Had we as a church been consistent with the message of the gospel, how many more people in the gay community could you and I have reached? You see, 20, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the, the world hated the homosexual community. That's why they, 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 that phrase became a thing when they said coming out of the closet. Why? Because it was stuffed in. Don't talk about it. Don't mention it. Laws until 1960s in every 50 state in America, all 50 states had laws against homosexuality. Okay? So, now, into that steps the church. And the church says, ooh, we agree with the world. Praise God. We're on the same boat. We can all be friends. You're against homosexuality. We're against homosexuality. But where are we in 2018? The world has gone way in the other direction, yes? And who's left with the bag of hate? We are. And you're saying, I don't hate anybody. I agree with you. But that's the world that we're in today. How are we going to change that? We're going to go out there and say, for God so loved the world. The straight world, the gay world, the Muslim world, the Hindu world, the Buddhist world. When I go on a missions trip, I don't go over there and say, well, listen, you know, um, this is what America is like, and you need to be American. Try that in Africa. It does not go over well. We don't do that in America. And they'll look at you and say, you're not in America. So what I want to do is I want to come in and say, okay, how can I relate the gospel to them that they could hear it in, their, in that culture of Africa, in Ghana, in Nigeria, in uh, Ivory Coast? How can I relate the gospel to where they're at? In Budapest, how can I relate the gospel to the people who are living in that community? How can I relate the gospel to when, when the, this mass migration comes pouring into Europe and the church went crazy there? The, glo the, the church of Europe went nuts. Oh no, we're being invaded by Islam. And here's the funny thing, and I've been to all the prayer meetings that we had for 20 years. We would gather together as Christian leaders all over Europe. We would gather together and guess what we were praying for? The 1040 window. You ever heard of the 1040 window? It's that part of the world that's in the Middle East. It's on every operation world, every missions book. Let's pray for the Middle East. Let's pray for the Middle East. And then all of a sudden, the Middle East came into our backyard. I mean, literally. And everybody was like, what are we going to do? And I think God was like, I just answered their prayer. <laughs> You've been praying this for 20 years. You know, oh, God, please reach Syria. In Syria. God, reach the Afghan in Afghanistan, not in Budapest. Keep Budapest the way it is, right? You understand? It doesn't work like that. I don't have, and boy, when we started reaching out to the, to the uh, migrants that were coming through, we had 12,000 people every day funneling through, 12,000 every day, 12,000 people every day. 
And I remember being at church on a Sunday. We would go out all nights, and then we would come to church on Sunday. And I remember just telling people, please help. Get involved. And our church did. We got involved. And, and I had one gal come up to me. I was standing over on the side after church praying with people. And she comes up to me, and she goes, are you going to leave once Hungary is Islamic again? Or are you just going to take off? You see? There's this fear. Fear was driving everyone. Fear. The fear of what might happen. Fear. The reality is, is this, is for the first time in my life, I had opportunity to, 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 to talk to the very people I'd been praying for for 20 years. I had never met a Syrian person before in my life. First time I went there, I didn't take Joy. I'm a little racist like that, I'll be honest. I didn't take her because I thought, I better go see what's going on because it could be dangerous because it's all these Muslims. And I got there and it was like, I was shamed into, look at how these people, these are human beings who need the gospel as much as I need the gospel. And we had a great opportunity. My suggestion to you and me is this. I don't want anyone, none of us in this room, nobody watching online to, to feel like they couldn't. We believe in what we believe because of the, what the Bible says. But we also want to keep the door so wide open to people who are wrestling with hard issues of life. Come. We don't have all the answers yet. We know what the Bible says. We're going to give you the truth, but we're going to do it in a way that respects you, in a way that shows you dignity. Why? Because Jesus shows us dignity. Jesus shows us love. A couple more issues, really quick. Yeah, but if I don't make a strong stance against homosexuality, they're going to think I'm compromising the gospel. Friends, can, can I, th this I know to be a certainty. The gay community doesn't want to be known only by their sexual preference. No more than you want to be known by your sexual preference. There's a lot more to a human being. And Jesus, the gospel, goes much deeper than just one issue of a human being's life. And here's the awesomeness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel doesn't change from outside in. It starts at the inside. God's working on you and me from the inside out. And I believe 100% that God will do a work of transformation. And I get to be a part of that transformation if I'm willing, if I'm willing to be open to talking with people and respecting people who think differently than I do and who live different. I've been doing that for 20-something years as a missionary, and guess what? Here's the invitation. Let's do it here in Chula Vista. Oh, they're from this community, or they're different than me. Good. The world doesn't need just an... The world does not need another Phil. The world needs another you. Or doesn't need another person. Just We don't need clones. We need, God wants to save unique people. You know what happens when God saves different types of people? God gets more glory. God gets more glory. God saves one type of person. Everybody's like, yeah, well, I don't fit that type. I'm not like that. I'm not good. I'm not kind. I don't like singing those songs. I don't like sitting in that place. I don't like those things. And so if I don't like that, I can't be a Christian. And God would come down here and say, no, that has nothing to do with what it means to be a Christian. You're different, and I love different, and I can save you if you'll let me. If you're willing to come to me on the basis of truth. We don't need to stand on another line. Because if we stand on some line, the, them, and us, we're standing on the other side of where Jesus is. And I want to be on the side where Jesus is. Loving people does not mean affirming everything they think is right. Did you know that? Loving someone doesn't mean you say, I agree with every part of your life. 
I had a friend of mine who was a pastor, had been doing it a long, long time, and he had been teaching. I've shared this with you before, but in case, he'd been teaching a message, and it was a, it was a, it was a good message, it was a hard message, and he was standing after church, he was standing in the back, and a lady came up to him, and she said, that was an amazing message. And she pulled out a cassette tape, and she said, I want you to listen to this me- cassette tape, young people, is a, uh, anyway, okay. So she pulled out a cassette tape, and... <laughs> A USB stick, okay? And uh, she pulled out a cassette, and she hands it, and she says, the, 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 the Bible teacher on this, th- on this tape totally disagrees with you. And would you do me a favor? Would you listen to it? He's like, sure. And he took it home, and he put it in, and it was him 10 years ago. <laughs> it was him 10 years earlier. You understand? We're all changing. We're all growing. Loving someone isn't the same as saying every part of who you are, every part of your life, I agree with. We need to learn in a world that is so ridiculously divided right now, Christians, we need to be able to be like, hey, we are the, we're the first, I mean, we're the first line of defense when it comes to love and and, and acceptance, not of sin, but of human beings who need Jesus. Because I'm convinced that if you bring a sinner before God, God wins. Because I believe God is bigger than the sin that exists in the world today. And I don't want to stand in a corner and like, I'm so afraid of the world, I'm so afraid of the world. It's time for the world to be afraid of God's people. We have the gospel. We believe that he who is in us is greater than that who is in the world. We believe that the truth of the gospel will transform a person's life. So you don't have to be afraid of that. Friends, it's time for you and I to be willing to step out and say, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to love people even when it's uncomfortable for me. It's what I do when I go on an airplane to another country. Why can't I do it in my own country? Why do I got to go somewhere and spend all that money to be uncomfortable and learn how to love somebody? Why can't I learn to love somebody here? Find someone around you who doesn't think like you. Don't preach at them, but talk to them. It's amazing how when you and I stop antagonizing, we can start evangelizing. When I came here to Calvary San Diego, I was met by you, the church, the most, honestly, some of the most loving people I've ever met. You really get, we were nervous about that. You know, I'm sorry, I think of myself as a European too often. Oh, those Americans, you know, are they going to, are they, you know, what's it going to, are we going to have good friendships? Are we going to be able to, and we have been so unbelievably blessed by you. You've welcomed us like you can't even imagine. We feel so welcome. We feel so loved. And that's why I feel so comfortable talking to you about this. You are the people that could make great change in Chula Vista. You did it for us. You made us feel so welcome. If we as a church could do that to our community, we will see transformation in our community. We will see huge transformation in our community. I know it because I've been on the receiving end of your love. You've got it. You've got something that people so many places do not have. You've got it. My encouragement is not a challenge to you or to make you feel guilty or to make you feel condemned. It's to tell you, you've already got it. You've shown it to us. Now, let's go be missionaries to people and to places and to communities that are different than us. One final thought. (laughs) This is a great one to end on. You guys are going to hate me when I do this. You ready? All of it is impossible. (laughs) God bless you. Goodbye. No, no. (laughs) I can fire you up as best as I'm able to. Not that good, but I could try. 
Yeah, I'm going to go love people. Dude, in five minutes, you'll be mad at another Christian in line for food. <laughs> dumb Christian taking so long. You know? Yeah, I'm going to love people. I hate you. Get out of the line, you know. Are you? How long does it take before our, our hype to love is gone? It takes, I mean, it is unbelievable how fast it goes away. I mean, I'm shocked. What, I mean, I, should, I wish God had a stopwatch on me sometimes. Yeah, I'm going to love. Click. Let's just see, you know. Tick, 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 ding. That ended real quick. It's impossible. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting myself to do something that's impossible. You see, missions is impossible. Loving others is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. More than ever, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not just so that we can go out and love others. It's so that we can be loving people. It's not just the, an expression outward just for ourselves. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time. It's an every-time thing. You and I, we can't love people. We, we can't even, I mean, this might sound crazy. You can't even love yourself the way you're supposed to. You don't have it in you. And that's okay. That's not the bad news. The bad news would be, and there's no way possible, but there is a way possible. It's called be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you and I are full of God, all things become possible. The very thing you could never do becomes a possibility. And you might say to me right now, man, send me into the gay community. I'm going to love them. But what if I also said, now I want you to go to your house too. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Those people are harder. I've known them too long. They've known me too long. Send me to people who don't know me. Because I will love them. That's not the work that God's doing in us. What I, the work I want God and I believe God wants to do in us is this. It's where love bubbles out and just keeps on going. Not directed, not sniper love. I'll love those people over there. All of those people over there. No, no, no. The love that just says, I'm just, just going to flow out. Whoever I'm around, whoever's near me, I'm going to love them. How can you be so loving? I can't. It's because of God in me. You know how many people, you know what will draw people to, not only to church, but to Christ? Love. Oh, if only we had this or this or this. Friends, if we have love, we will change the world. If we have God's love, we will change the world. We'll change our world. And so I want to invite you, as, as I'm doing every week, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm passionate about this issue and many issues because it's not issues to me anymore. It's people. And I don't want to be passionate about issues. I want to be passionate about people. For God so loved people that he gave his only son. But this person needs to be filled with God. This person needs God. Thanks for watching this episode of Crossing Cultures. Uh, this episode that you just watched is so foundational to what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. And so I'm thankful that you took the time and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thank you for listening to Crossing Cultures.